Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. just really interesting to hear how you move through the world, you know, how you affect other people. And I don't think it's very common to get that. You know, Altembia, I think, is such a special place where, you know, officially part of the program and what you do is get feedback and reflect. know, who you surround yourself with makes such a huge difference. You know, it can change the way you think about, you know, all these doubts of, do I have anything to say? If you have supportive people around you. You know, one of the things I appreciate now is this idea of, you know, just possibilities. If you want to be a writer, okay, like, go write. You can start now. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a give up your whole life and go write in the woods or something. You know, it can be 30 minutes a day to writing and, and see what happens. And at the time, it was like this very daunting, you know, decision. What do I want to do with the rest of my life? And that's the decision that I'm making, you know? Hey, hello. How are you? This is Fei Wu, and I am the host for the Phase World podcast. This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. Today, I would like to welcome yet another guest named Angela Akinyemi. And uh, she is a very special young lady I met through ELT MBA earlier this year in January 2017. We both belong to a session number eight of ELT MBA and a cohort called Ruby. So what is ELT MBA? ELT MBA is an intensive four-week online workshop designed by Seth Godin for high-performing individuals who want to level up and lead. There is no physical classroom, so instead, we tune in daily via Slack and Zoom, which is a web conference service. And each week, we were dropped into different discussion groups to continue our learning with different people. Meeting Angela was refreshing and unforgettable experience. She was not your typical extroverted, overly ambitious MBA classmate. Instead, she was curious and an exceptionally good listener who could hear the things that are unsaid in any room, often critical for our assignments. She was the glue for our group that enabled me and I'm very sure many others to learn in a comfortable and nurturing environment. Before we graduated from LTMBA 8, Angela also won an award from our cohort. She was then invited to be a coach for future MBA sessions. In our episode, we talked about both our experiences as students and also Angela as a coach. When I met Angela in person in New York City, she mentioned Whole30 to me. The Whole30 is a 30-day diet discovery that emphasizes on whole foods. And during that time, 
Participants must eliminate sugar of any kind, alcohol, grains, legumes, soy, and dairy from their diets. And I got on the bandwagon and had a pretty wildly successful run. I couldn't wait to share my experience with Angela. Angela is of African and French descent. We talked about her upbringing, her inspirations when she was a kid, but also her major in college, which completely caught me off guard. For millennials who are listening to this episode, I want to point out that this is an opportunity to rethink what's possible. The beauty of this conversation, Angela is just like us. We're all still trying to figure out what suits us, and we're ultimately responsible for the answer to that question, don't you think? Phase World Podcast is a homegrown podcast launched in 2014, and since then, we have interviewed over 100 guests and listeners from more countries than I can possibly name. If this sounds interesting to you, please help yourself. Visit phaseworld.com and check out categories from arts and design to social services to performing arts and much more. And please drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. Without further ado, please welcome. Angela Akinyemi to the Phase World Podcast. Let's talk about LTMBA a little bit. And I'm interested in what were you doing before that? And, you know, how and why did you choose to get into LTMBA with Seth Godin? For those of uh, my listeners who don't know what it is about. <laughs> Yeah. So a bunch of things kind of added up and pointed to, you know, it's the right time to do this thing. Kind of logistically, how I heard about it is my best friend went through it a year before the exact same session, same time the year before. I think she was Alt-MBA 3. And so I kind of heard, we were roommates at the time, so I kind of heard snippets of what she was going through and kind of the different projects and she raved about it and, you know, thought it was really transformative and had such a great time. You know, at the time, I don't think I was really ready to do something like that. You know, I wasn't really in the space where I am now, where I'm really motivated to kind of find out more about myself and to push myself and challenge myself and be vulnerable. So it didn't really spark my interest in the same way at that time. And... I guess part of the long version is that, and I wrote a little bit about this in the Alt-MBA, is that I had a few family relationships that kind of hit a breaking point at the end of last year, where it was, you know, kind of an unhealthy balance. And I found myself finding value in the people around me instead of in myself. Um, And had started doing a bunch of development activities. And, you know, I started doing yoga more seriously and and kind of started building my own life and, and what I wanted it to look like. So when my best friend sent me the information about the Alt-MBA and, you know, gave me a referral code and said, just think about it. It was so great. It was kind of the right time and it all clicked. And I said, you know, what can I really lose from doing this? And, you know, I tried to find out more about it. From what I could gather, it sounded really great, but I think, you know, maybe you have this struggle too, where it's kind of hard to really describe what it is. And I have a hard time finding the right words. And, you know, I kind of, I think 
my best friend did it on purpose a little bit because I think it's part of the magic of discovering it on your own and you know it being new and and kind of the open-endedness of interpreting it in your own way. So I think it was partly that and then partly not really knowing how to describe it. And even now, you know, I've been in the program and I've coached the program one session and, you know, I kind of question, is it a class really? Is it a workshop? And none of those sound right, really. And they can't really communicate what it is. So, you know, I took as much information as I could and and said, this sounds like something that will make me better. And I kind of just went for it. Yeah, you were not only ready for the session, were you surprised as well that when you were chosen to be one of the you know most memorable and most helpful uh, student out of that group, were you surprised when you got that recognition? <laughs> yeah, I was. I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't really consider myself to be, or I guess I view leaders as being very in the foreground and, and being very vocal. And I've just never been that way. You know, I always consider myself more like I observe a lot and, and I, I participate where I think I can add a lot of value. And, you know, it just feels like a non-recognition kind of thing. So yeah, I was, I was very surprised. Very grateful, very surprised. You mentioned very clearly in the first uh, sort of forum where all of us were in, I remember it was almost like a little puzzle pieces where all 40, 50 of us are on screen. Mm -hmm. You have to like scroll back and forth Mm -hmm. on Zoom to even see everybody. And you know that you only get to work with a very much of subset of them. I remember you and Luke as well uh, mentioned how introverted that you think you are, or at least you're shy. I think shy was the word. And during week two or three out of the four or five weeks we're together, you know, when I saw you, when we start working together, I realized how uh, just that week was really magical. I very much enjoyed all the other sessions, but something about that particular week, it was so productive. Mm -hmm. And when you and I met up for brunch in New York City, we talked about that dynamic as well, where it's hard for Seth or any of the coaches to predict to the T to figure out if these five people are able to work together. I noticed from the, the session before that and also after, like you said, LTMBA tends to attract a lot of very overachievers from my listeners, you know, sort of people from Google, Apple, startups, entrepreneurs, very vocal, very forward folks, forward thinkers, and everybody had a whiteboard and they can, you know, <laughs> capture notes and telling everybody what to do. And that, you know, I, I'm personally, I'm a project manager. I feel like I'm somewhere energy level wise, somewhere in the middle. And whereas that session with you, there was a, such a clear focus for some reason. You are such a good listener. Like when anybody's speaking, you were always there. You're so present. And uh, when we had brunch, same thing. You're very present. And it makes everybody, myself included, uh, felt really calm. You know, there are other sessions where we had meetings all day on Sunday or on a Tuesday and Thursday from 6 to 10 p.m. I just sit there. And with you, there's there's that uh, sort of harmony and that was really nice and really memorable for me. Oh, wow. Thank you. I feel like that's such a nice thing to say. I mean, it's so, it's really interesting and, and it was really valuable for me to get, you know, your feedback and others on that 
because it's just really interesting to hear how you move through the world, you know, how you affect other people. And I don't think it's very common to get that. You know, Alt-MBA, I think, is such a special place where, you know, officially part of the program and what you do is get feedback and reflect. But things like this that are more off the cuff, I think, you know, happen with higher frequency in a program like that. And, you know, we have reviews at work, but no one really tells you that stuff that that can be really useful for how you interact with other people. So it was it was definitely insightful for me. Yeah, that was a quite an experience. And I would, like you, I, I would recommend it. So now that you have been a coach, tell me a bit about your coaching experience. And obviously this is not any way, this episode is not sponsored by Altambia. And it's just, you know, I think Seth and the coaches encourage us to share openly, transparently about our experience. Yeah. I, I feel like I learned just as much being a coach as I did being a student. And you know, in different ways, you're not actually completing any of the prompts or projects, but it's really an exercise in in working with other people and empathy, especially because in the Alt MBA, coaches don't really have you know that typical leadership role. You know, you don't look to them for answers. They're not giving lectures or or really assigning anything. They're they're as guardrails, you know, to support you in doing your work. So what I found challenging at being a coach is to not be super involved, but to still be impactful. And, you know, you're not in the group session, so you don't really have a clear view of who's bringing what to the table and how everyone's interacting. And, you know, you still have to deal with it when someone says, oh my God, my team member isn't, you know, being very generous, isn't a good listener or is, you know, too assertive and or too technical or whatever it is. And it's, you know, you have to still help them deal with that situation without having the full context. And I also learned a lot just interacting with the other coaches. You know, there were other new coaches, there were a bunch of old coaches and, you know, everyone was so supportive and open. It's really just a special community where, you know, no one really felt like they had the upper hand. You know, everyone's really just honestly doing this together to try to help the cohort. And if a problem arose, anyone would post in the Slack and say, how would you handle this? Can I have some support? And even though it was a one-on-one interaction with that coach and a student, maybe, we all kind of worked on it together. Um, And I never had really experienced working that way before. So you mentioned a few words that I thought was interesting, you know, somebody being too technical, too assertive. These situations all happened. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, I've experienced them. Not no, The good news is nobody had any ill intention. Everybody was trying to bring their A game. But the dynamics is, ask the team, how do you tackle a problem? I think of you guys almost like a dorm parent, right? When we're freshman, <laughs> freshman year in college, dorm parents or, you know, Mentors, I think of the coaches more as mentors, as facilitators, as moderators. Mm-hmm. So um, what are some of the issues in your session that's after mine that you experienced that was like maybe a little bit tough and then you have to talk amongst yourselves or you have to figure out on your own? Um, so the two that are really memorable for me, one was kind of circles around, you know, 
being responsible for the work that you bring to the table. And, you know, most people are paying to be in this program. It's not, you know, it's not school. There aren't teachers. You're not going to get reprimanded for not doing the work. But you do have a responsibility to the group members. You know, you've made a commitment that's you know, 95% of the work that we do is, you know, centers around these these group meetings three times a week. So, you know, people kind of last minute saying like, oh, I can't come. I have this event, this and that, you know, things happen. But I, I think it was getting people in that mindset of, okay, how do I best handle this situation if I can't come? You know, I'll try my best to come or, you know, to do the project and do my part and contribute while, you know, respecting my group members if something has to change. Um, so that was one. And I think it's also very memorable because it's one of the first things that comes up, you know, week one, if someone can't make the meeting, you know, and it's, you kind of have to, set that expectation early. So it was one of the first things that I had to deal with as a new coach, right? You know, it was my first time being a coach. Did you have to confront um, somebody? Uh, that first time, not directly. And and we have co-coaches for every cohort. As you know, we had, you know, both Kristen and Connor. So I talked to my co-coach about how to handle it. And we posted in the group Slack and then people, you know, kind of started talking about it. So once we put that little seed out there, they kind of picked it up on their own. If there were something to change, to modify, now you have been a student as well as a coach. What are some mm -hmm. of the thoughts that you have making it better? Um, a few things that came up for me that I wish maybe I had been better about over the course of the program. One kind of speaks to the second issue, actually, that that came up as a coach, which is kind of the open endedness of things. And I think that's a big friction point for people. You know, we're not I think most people aren't really used to that. You know, it's kind of in school, you have a specific assignment and then in work, you know, in these big corporations, you know, the path is clear and the process has been laid out. And so I think there's a little bit of, there's definitely some getting used to that needs to happen to, you know, just take what you're given and kind of run with it and be assertive. And because of that open-endedness, I, I kind of wish that I had more time really to sink into all the different ways that something could be interpreted, for example, and to, you know, talk more about it with, you know, my group members and, and hear their perspectives and, just learn more about each topic and give more thorough feedback to everyone and, and take the time to reflect. Um, the other thing is that I feel like I've kept in touch with people who, you know, made a big difference for me in the program. And I feel like that's been really great. I just wish there was more of it. And I know that there are people who, you know, met their week one groups and and fell in love and have group texts and, you know, chat all the time. And I think, you know, part of why the program is set up the way it is focused on group meetings and collaboration and the cohort is because that's, you know, who you surround yourself with makes such a huge difference. You know, it can change the way you think about, you know, all these doubts of, do I have anything to say? If you have supportive people around you who are pushing themselves and pushing you and giving you feedback, you, you can take those steps, you know, more easily and with more confidence. Yeah. 
I've never drawn the parallel between L10BA and so much as, as broad as life. And I realize, um, I think that's, we want life to be like that, to be easy in some ways, because life a lot of times isn't like that. And I think L10BA is a reflection of life because a lot of what I struggle with as well is because there was no clear path. And then there are big corporations, like you said, with a career path. And a lot of that, I think, is just, unfortunately, it's a facade that how often do you hear, wait a minute, I've been here for five years and I worked harder and I got these reviews, but I, I was never promoted. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? So with a clear path, it's maybe easier for you to see where the holes are. But you know, what's that story that you're telling for yourself? Whereas L10BA, there's sort of no clear progress, right? There's no somebody rating A minus, A plus. Right, or, right. Right. If somebody just yeah. tells you, Angela, you did a great job. Oh, that feels really good. But what does that, what does that mean? How does that affect my assignment or what the eventual outcome is going to be. And that's so fascinating to me because everybody who experienced L10BA tells a different story. And as they're telling the story, they're figuring out the, what the point of, of it was. And they wish yeah. they knew then. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to jump around. I think the next area I want to probe is you have had you know, career shifts and new projects. And I don't know the state of where you are right now. What are some of the things that excites you? You know, what did you just finish up? Like, tell me a bit more about that. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I think probably like most millennials these days, I've had a non-linear trajectory since school. So I studied physics in school and minored in French. So, you know, like even further back, I think I always considered myself kind of a numbers person, like I was good at math. And I'm actually not sure if it was because I was initially good at math or if it's because my dad always, he, he's a very math driven person. He was an accountant at the time and was very adamant that his two daughters be good at numbers. (laughs) And, you know, over summers we would be doing math workbooks and everything to make sure, you know, we're ahead of the curve and we were going to be good at this, you know? Yeah. So I was always good at math. And I think that was kind of, you know, it kind of propels itself after you're good at it, you're ahead of the curve and you like it. It just kind of continued that way. And then I, when I took physics, I think it was my junior year of high school, I liked the application portion of it. You know, math is kind of just in its own world. And when I started learning, you know, mechanics and understanding the world around me, that math kind of had relevance. So I really enjoyed that and took two years of physics in high school. But I still, it was the same thing where I'm like, do I really like this? Or is it because it kind of comes a little bit more easily to me? And, you know, considered majoring in English and considered majoring in a social science. Yeah. And and since I really had no other answer at the time, I kind of wanted to explore. I said, you know, okay, fine for now. I'll, I'll do that. And I think that kind of stepped in. I still think now every once in a while when I say, yeah, I majored in physics, I like wait for, for <laughs> actions. <laughs> I like physics. So I support you in that. It, it's challenging, especially at the college level. And wow. Um, so physics. And so you st- 
stuck around for physics. You didn't switch to a different major. You graduated with a degree in physics. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, looking back, I think it's one of those times where I was like, but will I finish on time? You know, all these rules, I have to play by the rules. And if I don't graduate on time, then what about finding a job? So I think once I was on the path, it was going to be really hard for me to to switch. So I stuck with physics and my engagement kind of dropped with it because it it just became so abstract, you know, physics, the further you get down that road. It's really geared towards, you know, are you going to be a researcher? Or are you going to be a professor? And I knew I didn't want to do any of those things. Um, so I enjoyed some of the classes, like the more tangible stuff, mechanics, like I said, understanding the world around you. I liked relativity and thinking about, you know, how time warps. That's that's like cool stuff that I like to think about. But generally I knew, okay, what do I want to do next? Physics is not right for me. And, you know, one of the things I appreciate now, especially after having been, having gone through the Alt-MBA is this idea of, you know, just possibilities. Like you can do, if you want to be a writer, okay, like go write, you can start now. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a give up your whole life and go write in the woods or something, you know, it can be assign 30 minutes a day to to writing and and see what happens. And at the time it was like this very daunting, you know, decision, what do I want to do with the rest of my life and that's the decision that I'm making, you know. And a bunch of people at Georgetown were interviewing for jobs in investment banking and I had studied abroad and came back and felt like I was behind and, you know, learned. I was like, oh, investment banking, that's something that I should look into. OK, I'll look into that. <laughs> got and the memo. Did. And I did. And I got an internship at Credit Suisse. So I spent a summer there in equity capital markets and then came back. I got the full time offer and then came back and spent about two and a half years there. And I think it was one of those, also one of those things where I said, you know, like I'm in investment banking and, and would wait for people's reactions, especially, you know, coming from me. I feel like people never expect it. So I kind of got this like little pleasure out of people being like, wow, oh, okay. What do you think people expect you to be? Um, that is a good question. Well, especially at the time, I don't know what people would have expected. I don't think I was really thinking about it. Now, I think people would expect some kind of like social science, which I always had a, a natural interest in. And probably I say that because I, I recently asked like a new acquaintance about this and, and he said, yeah, I would have expected social science. <laughs> so when I saw you on screen, just via Zoom without ever asking any of these questions, spending nearly as much time with you on LTMBA, more like Project Simon Go, just looking at the way that you were and your presence, if uh, I were to read into it, my guess about who you were without looking at your bio was, I figure you do a lot of yoga for some reason. <laughs> uh, maybe with your outfit, just how relaxed and you are. And uh, you um, really evoked a lot of these questions and ideas in my head. And when you said your dad said that you're a minority and it'll be very impressive, mm -hmm. right? I, I studied math. I majored computer science and math in college. And nobody looks at an Asian face and think, oh, that's incredible. Why did you do that? <laughs> it's like, oh, that's all of you guys, especially math. Yeah, um, that's true. How did that make you feel? Like how, how, what was it like for you to navigate around the world and being a 
potentially like an A student, so good at something, the subject, so particularly difficult, not to mention Georgetown's one of the most challenging, most competitive colleges to get into, especially for your age, because I know you're younger and there are a flood of Asian students and a lot of, you know, Russian students kind of from overseas as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there, there are obviously a lot of components to this. I think in and of itself, doing physics and math and being a numbers type person, I think it always felt like a double-edged sword where, where, you know, I got that kind of affirmation of, wow, that's impressive. You know, it's such a cool thing that, that you're doing that and I wouldn't expect it from you. On the other hand, things like, you know, that'll be so impressive if you apply with a physics degree. I'm like, well, I wonder if I would have gotten in if I had put, you know, English or social science or whatever it is that that not impressive match, you know, what would have happened? It almost seems like there's no like value really in that association and people are deriving value from it. So I'm like, without that association, you know, would you think I was an impressive person or is it just this association that you have? So yeah, it can go both ways. And you know, the other part of it is that there aren't a lot of people like me. The suburbs where I grew up, there weren't a lot of minorities. And, you know, I feel like I'm still trying to uncover how that's affected me and my identity and, and you know, the people I naturally feel close to and, are, and uh, that I'm drawn to. Mm, that's so fascinating. You know, when you pause and think about how our life is constructed before we have a chance to be adults and choose our own friends and choose what we believe in. You live in your own apartment in New York City. The possibilities are endless and you can choose whatever you want to do. So what do you think that is, even without a very clear path? And if it isn't or wasn't physics, you know, what are some of the things that you have control over now to say that will really make me happy, even though I might not be the best at it, but I want to explore that and grow into that. Yeah, well, I think on a very large scale, it's just, you know, knowing myself and what I want. You know, if I could go back to college, I wouldn't say, okay, I would have majored in English or I would have majored in something else. I think I would allow myself the freedom to explore, to know what interests me. And, you know, maybe it would have turned back and been physics and that's fine too. But I think I was doing it for the wrong reasons and didn't really know what I wanted. And I think I also knew that I didn't know what I wanted, but I think just trusting that and being okay with it and exploring things is part of, you know, what I'm still kind of trying to get used to. And this past year, which includes the Alt-MBA, has for me already been a lot of exploration. And I feel like I've done so much just in the past year of, you know, what makes me happy. I've committed more to yoga and I started taking guitar lessons and I did Whole30, you know, and I do I did Alt-MBA. 
it's hard to really say, you know, what would be a, a concentration for work versus what just makes me happy to have as part of my life. But I think a lot of it centers around wellness. So what are, we're kind of getting into naturally transition into wellness and uh, what are some of the topics that might interest you in writing about wellness? Yeah, so the more that I learn about each of these avenues, so, you know, yoga is one of them, meditation is one of them, nutrition is one of them, the more I'm realizing that they're all connected, you know, and it's this really holistic approach. I think it would be cool to have more people have that view. I think it's seen as this very like woo-woo, like hippie alternative thing right now. And people don't realize, you know, like the minute I started Whole30, I was like, wow, this is crazy. It's not just affecting, you know, my actual digestive system. It's energy and, you know, my lower back pain and all of this stuff got better. You know, that can help so many people. And I think if it's seen in a more approachable way, I think that could be pretty impactful. Yeah, I love where you're going with this is... There are people out there, hundreds if not thousands of blogs um, that are already successful, right? I'm sure. But like you said, it's there's a place for where you're going, which is making more accessible and coming out as the way that you are, very approachable and um, very low-key about these things. And I think her name is Melissa Hardwick, right? So mm-hmm. kind of how her approach this uh, Whole30, which is a version or is very similar to Paleo's, but make it way more accessible. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that, uh, you know, make it uh, challenging, but yet also you can see the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel too. Yeah, what yeah. What got you into Whole30? I'm so fascinated by this program. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of exactly the same as your path where, you know, I... It kind of, I'd heard all these tidbits, you know, word of mouth here and there. And then, you know, I guess it was just the the right person told me about their experience at the right time. And it actually kind of stuck. And and still, it took me a month or so like you to, to really commit and say, okay, is this the right time? And, you know, I waited till the end of Alt-MBA to be able <laughs> to like, you know, have the time really to cook and prep and everything. And yeah, so I just, after that person talked, and I think a, a big difference, the person who actually convinced me had just finished it. And I think, you know, you feel the impact and the change that it's made when you have it behind you. And a lot of other people had been saying, you know, like, I heard about this thing. I heard it's really impactful. And it was it was a little too removed. And then when I talked to this woman, she, you know, had just done it and was raving about it and can tell me, you know, engage more on the rules and the specifics and how it made her feel and the impact. So that was powerful and and convinced me to do it. And, you know, like you said, you don't really think it's a it's a diet fad. I feel like it sounds that way. And and a lot of people say, oh, you're doing that whole 30 thing. And and it sounds like, you know, just one of those other things that comes and goes. But, you know, I felt even if I don't discover anything, it's a chance for me to be healthier, learn to cook new dishes, and there's no downside to that. So I agree with you. Yeah. So maybe explain a little bit around sort of the the rules. I think it's pretty easy to explain because you you can eat. I find myself to be, you know, explaining to others without feeling guilty that, oh, there's nothing I can eat. I can eat pretty much everything except 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The the thing is, I feel like it's different for people who have a huge sweet tooth, I think. I don't. Oh, good for you. I do. (laughs) So I'm interested to hear about that. But for me, it was, you know, giving up this. I don't drink soda. I you know, don't really eat chocolate or candy or, or anything like that. So that wasn't a huge deal for me. My mine was the cheese and the bread. <laughs> that was my big sacrifice. <laughs> uh, yeah. French, um, right? You're, yeah. Yeah. It's in so the it's blood. Like, my mom's like, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And, and, you know, aside from that, it's, I think more, it's just getting into the habit of cooking new things. You know, I used to make every meal with quinoa. And since you can't have grains, I started making, you know, sweet potatoes or other veggies or cauliflower rice. And it serves the same purpose. And I feel like I don't miss the quinoa at all. It's just, I didn't even know how, how to make this or that it was a possibility. So just having access to to that stuff, it kind of makes it easy to to keep doing it. You know, things like that. It's like, well, well, quinoa doesn't really taste like anything. So, you know, not a big deal to switch. So yeah, so grains are a big one that I think impact a lot of people. Dairy is another one. Alcohol and sugar, which I feel like even though I don't eat a lot of sweets, I learned that sugar is in everything. Yeah. It's crazy. It blows my mind now. It makes me so upset. I the first time I made cauliflower rice at the beginning of whole 30, you put like chicken broth or some kind of broth in the pan and I bought these cubes to do chicken broth at home and there was sugar in the chicken broth. So I had to throw away the whole batch of cauliflower rice that I made. It was like one of those first hiccups in in the program, but you know, it teaches you to really look at at labels and what you're eating. It's it's unbelievable. I know. I, I couldn't believe I did the same thing. And the first couple of days uh, were difficult. So even for me, a few days in, I realized how much effort, perseverance I put in there. I'm, I definitely have my, I love ice cream, chocolate. You know, I even had the 23andMe genetic testing that says, you have a sweet tooth. <laughs> yeah, you there like I didn't know they told you stuff like that. It's incredible. I mean, I, I know. I mean, there's some of the other things you're like, ah, oh, maybe not so useful. But this one in particular, based on your genetic makeup, you are either more drawn towards kind of salty or salty tasting food versus sweet. I mean, just these two categories, and yeah. I'm on the sweeter side. So. Mm. And I, I knew that since I was, uh, you know, two and a half. <laughs> so, yeah, it's certainly challenging. But I think the more time, as time goes by, I realize, oh, now I really have to pay attention because I don't want to start all over again. Um, yeah. So that becomes sort of part motivation. And it, reading labels, that I saw something that says zero sugar from the calorie little table, but right underneath that ingredients and there's sugar. I'm like, yeah. you just told me zero. And why are you telling me <laughs> differently now? <laughs> I know, product labeling. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, well, I'm so glad that you decided to do it. Yeah, me too. You know, I, I just think it's so thankful of uh, you introducing this to me. Well, I'm so I'm so glad that we get to do this. Uh, really, yeah, me too, me too. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. It's been such a great experience. Hope 
hope you enjoy this episode of the Phase World podcast. My team and I will be thrilled if you choose to write us a review on iTunes. It really helps to get the word out. Simply search for Phase World podcast in your iTunes app under podcast. Click on readings and reviews tab, and then write a review. The star review takes seconds, or a brief text review will be fantastic too. Thank you on behalf of me and my team from Face World.